Hey, this is Chris. Before we get to the show, let me tell you a little bit about Anchor. Anchor is our way of we record podcasts. Fantastic. Let me tell you why. It's easy. It's free. There are creation tools that we can record and edit your podcast right from your phone and your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on such um, providers as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need in a podcast and so much more. Check out Anchor, and you can find it all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Anchor, it's a fantastic way of creating your first podcast and making it work. Everybody, welcome back to the Ohioan Podcast Network. We are talking pop culture. I'm Craig Schaup. We have George Thomas with us. George, how are you doing on this kind of nice looking Thursday we have? Uh, let me ask me tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, in addition to all your, your work at the Akron Beacon Journal with sports, you also review movies. We have a couple of uh, somewhat big ones maybe opening this week with the many saints of Newark and Venom, Let There Be Carnage. Although I think I need, when I say that, I need to say it like Venom, Let There Be Carnage or something, you know, a little bit more movie voice trailer guy a little bit with that. But, um, well, let's talk about the many saints of Newark. Um, Now, this is a build as a Sopranos prequel, uh, the sort of rise of... Um, well, I guess you would say it's, is it the rise maybe of the teenage Tony Soprano that would, uh, you know, go on to become the, you know, iconic TV character from HBO's original series? How do you, how do you, how does a teenager rise? Right. <laughs> you rise in the world of crime, I guess, you know, you, you rise, really? you, you rise in the world of the, the mafia, I suppose. Right. Uh... You know what this does? It's it's a story of Tony's. You know, I I wasn't a Sopranos fan. Okay, I think I can I can count on both hands the number of episodes I I watched. I never really got into it. Right. I, I appreciated that it had some colorful characters. Blah blah blah. It had this conflicted mobster and Tony Soprano played brilliantly by James Gandolfini. But you know, it it, it and it, it, let's face it. Uh, the way I wrote it in my review, it's one of three iconic HBO television series. There's The Sopranos, there's The Wire, and there's Game of Thrones. So right. it's it's in the pop culture zeitgeist. That being said, I don't know how <laughs> you a, a teenager rises. What it's actually about, for the most part, it's about the unseen late uncle Dickie Montesanti, who apparently had this great influence on on Tony Soprano when he was growing up. And, you know, director Alan Taylor and David Chase, the creator of Sopranos, who wrote the film, established that relationship, I guess. And and that's it in a nutshell. Uh, they, they want, they're trying to, to make us understand and appreciate Dicky Moltisanti, the way many fans appreciated an older Tony Soprano. Problem is, Dicky Moltisanti is a 
complete and utter sleazebag and you can't do it. He he wasn't that complicated. In in the movie, he he had one one level. Scumbag evil dude. I mean, he he murders without regret. And I won't say who he murders, but it's like I mean, this is a guy who's not really ordering hits, but he's got the blood on his hands. You know what I mean? Right. And they try and soften that by presenting his relationship with Tony, with Tony as a, a, a preteen and then as a teenager. And it, it, it doesn't work for me. What this ultimately is, is fan service. Because most people will often wonder where Tony Soprano's unique cast of characters right. came from in the background. Turns out, they were all Uncle Dickie's boys, yeah. and he eventually took over Uncle Dickie's crews. He, and you know, we we, we get a uh, a young a young Polly Walnuts. We get a young Silvio Dante, who's played by uh, Steve Van Zant in the series, but is played by a local kid. I can't call him a kid. I, <laughs> I'm 20 years older than him. That's why I call him a kid. But his name's John Magaro, playing. Um, Silvio Dante as um, as a young man. And and thankfully, he's given one of the movie's better moments as far as I'm concerned. But even he understood, you know, I interviewed him, the story's running. I don't know yeah. if it's in the paper today or not, but it's online. Even he understands. And he said point blank, his duty was to serve Soprano fans. I get that. Yeah. Now, whether it does is up to those fans to judge on HBO Max or in movie theaters. Um, the, the best performance of the lot, you know, Leslie Odom is in it. I'm always going to like Leslie Odom, playing who plays a, a, a former numbers runner for Dick, Dickie Moltisanti who strikes out on his own. Um, and, you know, they try to make this socially relevant by setting a lot of movie against the, the backdrop of the Newark riots in the 70s or late 60s and then moving forward into the 70s. And it's like, it misses the mark for me. It it, yeah. it really does. Yeah, it's funny you bring it up because, I mean, like you, I, I, could, I could probably count the number of Sopranos episodes I've seen on one hand. I, I just never have gotten into it. Maybe it's just the the mass of humanity of the number of episodes that are out there to watch. And, you, you know, you got to start at episode one and then you got eight seasons basically worth of episodes that you have to watch. Always have heard great things about it. You know, from what I have seen, it, it does seem like an interesting show. Um were you kind of disappointed in something like this being a fan service type of movie? Like, I mean, obviously you're trying to cater to an audience, which is why this movie is getting made. But do you kind of want something like this to aspire for more since it does have those elements of a crime drama, and you know, a mafia movie? You know, it's, it's weird because while looking at it, I'm thinking to myself, and it's not there to have this thought, thought because it, this is David Chase's buddy. Or, or baby, but right. my thought was, what could have Scorsese done with this? Yeah. What could have uh, uh, Francis Ford Coppola done with this? And it, if I'm having that thought, there's something amiss. Now, mind you, David Chase didn't direct it. Alan Taylor did. So right. maybe 
therein lies a problem. I I don't know for sure. Right. But it just it just doesn't lack the it doesn't have the the allure. And even if you were you were talking about a seedy underworld, there there's always been a hint of romanticism to it. Right. And you know, none of that is there. Like I said, I'm glad John Magaro got one of the better moments in the movie, and it comes towards the end. And and Michael Gandolfini, James Gandolfini's son, has the mannerisms down. Gee, I wonder why. But <laughs> but you know, you you could see him going forward in another film. But you know the what the hell do I care about Dicky Moltisani? I don't. Right. Well, and I think one of the things you brought up in your review, and you can obviously find that at the uh, beaconjournal.com or obviously uh, subscribe to the newspaper. But, um, you know, you bring up a, it's really a who's who of, of character actors that make their appearance in this film. Um, you know, I think we've talked about John Bernthal uh, a couple of times. Amiga, Ray Liotta, Corey Stahl. I mean, there's some, you know. Uh, Great cast. Yeah. Sounds like a waste of talent, unfortunately, though. It's a it's a great cast, and all of them are given these major Sopranos characters right. to portray in in this two hour movie. When the point you set you you made it a couple minutes ago, it's so apropos. I mean, they had a, an opportunity, the original cast, to develop these characters over eight years, and they had plenty to do in eight years' time. Right. Well, these actors, this great great character actors didn't. And, and the biggest disappointment for, for me was John Bernthal, who played uh, Tony Soprano's father, is basically given nothing to do. Right. Zip, not a, nothing. He's on screen, he goes to prison, he comes out of prison, he does nothing. Hmm. Is this something, you know, I, I know you, you kind of mentioned, you know, what kind of a movie this could be in, in another director's hands. Is, is that something that you feel like it's there? Like something, you know, something was there that just was just off about it. I know, you know, development wasn't there necessarily. I, I, you know, saw in the review, the, especially when you're talking about when you're trying to develop this Tony Soprano character from a teenager, you know, is it, is it kind of one of those things where you really think that there's, there's lightning in a bottle there that just, was misused by whether the script or the director or a little bit of both? Um, I think they missed a big opportunity to get their audience, who their, their fans excited mm. for something that could come down the line. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because I, you know, obviously things like this get made for certain reasons sometimes. Yeah, there's trying to capitalize on, you know, an intellectual property that's well known and well regarded by fans. Um, even though the Sopranos hasn't been around since 2007, obviously you can still stream it on HBO max. Do you think this spawns more movies, original series? I mean, how do you kind of take this movie as sort of a launching point for something else in this Sopranos universe? Uh, who's more compelling than
the a young a young Tony, they're gonna have to get Michael Gandolfini on board. Yeah. For one more movie and that's it. And I get that because if the kid wants to be an actor, he doesn't want to do literally in daddy's footsteps. You you, you want to strike out. Right. Well, that's the so, thing about acting is, you know, especially, you know, yeah, you're you're sort of following in your father's footsteps with this film. You're playing essentially the character your father made famous. But as an actor, if you want to break into it, there's no better way to do it than get a job. And if he's got a chance to, even if he's going to be typecasted into this, you know, your dad played this role, so it's perfectly cast you in this role. Hey, that might be his way to get uh, his meal ticket to a long career, though, as an actor, as opposed to maybe he does or doesn't have the acting chops outside of playing a character his father played and, you know, maybe sinking or swimming that way. I mean, do you think there's, it's better for him to take the the path easily followed as opposed to, you know, just kind of a one-off and then doing it on his own? I know. I he have the chop, do you think, after watching, you know, two hours worth of this? Uh, the problem is there's not enough of him on the screen to make that yep. judgment. Like I said, it's Dickie's story. Yeah, there isn't. You really, you really can't make that judgment. Um, is, is that a surprise that they? I mean, I know Ray Liotta. You know, I mean, it wouldn't be a mob movie without Ray Liotta. But I mean, does this? Does it? Did it make sense to you as this was unfolding that this story kind of morphed from what appeared? You know, the trailers and every every everything you kind of looked at and read about. This was a Tony Soprano origin story, so to speak. And then it kind of sort of becomes his mentor's story, right? I mean, were you surprised they went in that direction? Actually, I was because I I I think they could have of dealt with Dickie Montesani and centered Tony's character more, right? With, without a doubt. But you know, I don't get I don't get the big bucks. Yeah. I get well, to I, I get to talk I get to talk about movies. Not me. You do well. Um, you know we've talked about it here. Uh, I read your review in the Akron Beacon Journal. But what is your final grade for the Many Saints of Newark? I think I gave it a C plus, maybe a B minus. Actually, you gave it a C, George. Wow. Yeah, a little harsh on that one, huh? Well, you know, it happens. That's fine. Well, we'll see. Obviously, you know, HBO Max is always going to want new subscribers, so I'm sure they're probably uh, getting something down the pipeline here for a Sopranos origin story. They are bringing back Sex in the City, so I I can only imagine that this is another property that they wouldn't mind bringing back. Um, you know what, though? Isn't it, isn't it disappointing to see HBO go down this route? It is extremely disappointing. Because they have been known... And this is AT&T's influence. That's, right. That's right. all it is. Yeah. But they, they have been known for taking chances, yeah. developing things. They've been known more for mayors of Easttown and they have right. for recycling right. their own stuff. And and here we have them recycling their own stuff. Right. And it's it's kind of disappointing. Yeah, I, I just I mean I'm not I like I, I could probably count again on half of a hand on how many episodes of sex in the city I've watched. But to me, it just, I just wonder if there's a big audience for it. And of course, you know, the big thing is Kim Cattrall's not going to be in the show. 
So it, it kind of makes you wonder, is there going to be a big audience for it? Although nostalgia kind of reigns supreme sometimes, but I agree. HBO Max, kind of a disappointing road they're going down where, you know, they don't want to reward shows like Lovecraft Country or Watchmen. I mean, Watchmen not necessarily wasn't, you know, an HBO decision, although it was kind of a, you know, an HBO issue too. But it, it doesn't seem like they're willing to like put that, put their, their chips in the middle and go all in on something unique or something, you know, to, to maybe give a second season to as opposed to, well, we know there's a built-in audience for a spinoff of Game of Thrones or a Sex in the City reboot or in all likelihood there's going to probably be some sort of a Sopranos-like, you know, show. They haven't had a, it seems like a mob show in quite some time, Boardwalk Empire, you know, type of show. So it, it, it just seems like, yeah, you're right. It's it's disappointing because, you know, when I think of HBO, I think of originality and, to, you know, being on the cutting edge sort of of these original programs. And now they're starting to get into this. We're going to remake things. We're going to reboot things because we don't want to put money into something that we don't know if it's going to succeed or not. And that's absolutely it. And that's what's everything wrong with, with Hollywood right now. I mean, it's all about regurgitating stuff. It is. Well, speaking of originality, let's get to our next movie, huh? Venom. Let there be carnage. If we if we didn't need a Venom movie in 2018, well, we got it. And if we were thinking, oh, I wonder if that needs a sequel, we got it here in 2021. So, George, uh, are you a Venom fan? I mean, not just the, the, the property of Venom, but the first movie here in 2018. And then let's talk a little bit about Let There Be Carnage. Oh, let's see. You know, it dictated Venom in 2021 or whenever it was supposed to be initially released. Right. $800, $800 million in global box office dictated that. Correct. So I we get no say so. I didn't pay for it to watch the first one. <laughs> right. And I was among those reviewers, critics, whatever you want to call us, who recognized the first one for having a few good moments, but it was an absolute, complete and utter mess. Right. Because they didn't know what to do with it. Because we're talking about a guy with a symbiote living inside him. And, right. And, and what, what do you do with that when you're you're having this, this battle for control? They figured it out with this one, though. Because, you know, I like this one. All right. Because it leans into comedy and the absurdity of the situation. And Tom Hardy is absolutely freaking fantastic doing so. Right. Plus, plus, let's hear it for the 90-minute movie. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Can I have a round of applause? Very rare for a uh, action blockbuster to come in at the 90-minute mark, but sometimes that's what you need to do. And I think it helped immensely. Now, Woody Hel- Woody Harrelson stars as Cletus Cassidy slash Carnage, Venom's number one enemy. But this is played for comedy. It's directed by Andy Serkis. Yeah. Gollum, for those who don't know who yeah. Andy Serkis is. Um, and it, it's, it basically concerns an escaped convict trying to get back to his, his girlfriend, fiance, whatever you want to call her. And he's inadvertently transformed into carnage. And, you know, you get past all that, and it's basically two symbiotes and two loser guys' bodies going at it, mano y mano. And 
that that's it. And there are lots of laughs, which I appreciate it. Most courtesy of Tom Hardy fighting with Venom, like, and he said this in an, in an interview, an old married couple, and that's the best analogy I can come up with. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's fun. It's dumb. And, you know, if you got nothing better to do and you feel like braving a theater, because it's the only place you can see it, yeah. go for it. You know, it, it's funny, you know, the first movie came out, and you're, you're absolutely right. It was a, a, you know, a complete mess. And I kind of wondered, like, how did Tom Hardy get wrapped into that? Like, did he just, you know, like, well, I want to play Venom and let's see how it goes. And, yeah, the dollar signs, you know, he certainly got, you know, the big paycheck. And I'm sure he got another nice paycheck here. But I don't know. Tom Hardy's always been one of those actors that, you know, I'm sure he likes money, but he always seems to, like, pick what he wants to do. And, and you know, it was it was strange to see him in Venom and then have it turn out to be, you know, a complete mess. But maybe this is building to something. I mean, do you kind of, kind of foresee Tom Hardy joining the Tom Holland Spider-Man verse and maybe duking it out with Spider-Man at some point here in the future? Oh, man, you want me to spoil things now? Oh, no, okay. I don't. <laughs> uh, spoiler, we're going to announce, you know, fast forward, what to do what you got to do. Yeah. And one of the, the, the um, patented, copyrighted Marvel Universe post-credit scene clips. Yeah. Oh, I think you're breaking up a little bit. I think the the internet's uh, working against you here to, to not spoil the movie. Are you serious? Yeah, if you could. <laughs> Try that again I, if you want to do I that. Said, I said in one of Marvel's uh, patented, copyrighted, post-credit scenes, Tom Holland does indeed show up. All right. Well, there you have it. Uh, whether now it's 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 very, very ambiguous as to whether right. whether that's going to happen, whether Venom shows up in the uh the MCU, but Tom Holland's there, so we shall see. You know, very interesting because you know, obviously now the studio is probably going to send Venom and Carnage after you for for saying that. But uh, I precursed it. No spoiler I, warning. <laughs> but I mean, is that is that what? Not that Tom Hardy wants to join some cinematic universe, but um, you know, do you think that uh, maybe that's always been down the pipeline, or maybe they just decided, okay, now we're going to get into it because we've got a sequel. We made eight hundred million dollars last movie. Now we're we're gonna really you're gonna be Venom now you're gonna be like the Hugh Jackman of Venom you're gonna play Venom now for as long as you wish. Um, you know what? I think Tom Hardy saw franchise and money. Yeah, and he's and he's entitled to that. This right. is a guy who's been toiling in 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 obscure kind of roles for years. I mean, he did a. a I think we met, I mentioned this the last time. He did a an FX television series yeah. that I absolutely loved. Right. And he didn't get the recognition for it he he deserved. The series was called Taboo. Right. It, and it's what they were supposed to be a second season. Uh that was 3 years ago. So, you know, he, he had Tenant. He had uh 
a Mad Max movie, but you know, he's still that guy who yeah. isn't exactly a household name. You know what I mean? Kind of like the underrated out- movie star. Yeah. And if, if we're being honest about Mad Max, that was more, uh, more, um, a film for, um, Charlize Theron. Yeah. Then, than him. Yeah. So, I mean, he was basically a captive in that movie. So pretty um, much. Yeah. I mean, he, he didn't talk much and, you know, it's, it's funny. Like, uh, you know, he's had like Barry had some facial coverings in Mad Max and then he had his face covered in uh, the Dark Knight Rises. He his face was covered for most of Dunkirk. I mean, he's like the one movie star that does not care if you if you say, "Yeah, let's put a mask on you so no one can see your Hollywood good looks." Like, I could never imagine a Tom Cruise or a, a you know Denzel Washington like these movie stars of yesteryear that are still movie stars, but maybe not the action heroes they once were. You know, dominating the screen all the time, but. It's it's hard to imagine. He's kind of the he's the movie star in Hollywood. Like everybody there knows him. But then, if you go to the flyover parts of the country, some people might say, "Oh yeah, that's the one guy that played Bane or whatever." They might not even know who he is because, like you said, he just takes these understated or just quirky roles that, you know, you, you if you are not a fan of film, you're you might not see it, with the exception uh, maybe here of Venom. Yeah. I there's nothing I can dispute there. Nothing. He seems like he enjoys playing Venom, though. That that's kind of the rare thing. Like he seems like he seemed like he enjoyed the first one, and based on the trailers I've seen, it seems like he's having fun again with it. Even though maybe the movies aren't quite the the high level, you know, cinema that Martin Scorsese would talk about. But he just he seems like he's enjoying himself playing this role. Um, he said point blank in a USA Today interview, he's having fun primarily because he figured out how to play the role. Right. And he had a big say so in how the, the script was written and what eventually turned into the final script. And okay. I have to imagine him figuring out how to play the role, playing it up for some comedy made the biggest difference. So, any any change with I mean obviously Andy Circus everybody knows Andy Circus from his acting and, and motion capture acting more specifically but any any possible change in the director's chair maybe change the vision of this type of movie from the Ruben Fleischer version in 2018 of a mess <laughs> <laughs> who gets the final cut right <laughs> I mean yeah I mean it, it it's tighter. I mean, right. what what's the point in bloating something that sings at ninety minutes and stretch yeah. just to stretch it out to to one forty, one fifty? Right. No, there's there's no point in any of that nonsense. Yeah. I mean, it, just give you a perfect example. You, I saw Bond, and we'll go into that next week. Right. Longest Bond film ever. Right. Longest Bond film. I left there feeling that not a second was wasted right now you go back to the first venom and i'm pretty sure it's under hours but at at certain points i remember checking my watch two or three times yeah and yeah that doesn't happen here right there are plenty of times a three-hour movie like uh you know peter jackson's king kong 
didn't feel like it was three hours and it, and it breezed through good pacing. It maybe had a little bit excess to it and it could have been chopped by 10, 15, 20 minutes. But, you know, then you go to a movie where there's maybe it's an hour and a half long and you're like, okay, you check the watch a couple times. So just because the length of the movie might run over three hours or two and a half hours doesn't mean there's wasted scenes or doesn't mean that it doesn't earn that. And it doesn't, it certainly doesn't mean that the pacing is any worse than, you know, an hour and a half movie that just is terrible. It's a mess and you can't wait to get out of the theater. So, you know, I'm excited. I mean, yeah, James Bond, you know, obviously two, I think it's what, two hours and 47 minutes. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, Obviously it's sort of the finale for Daniel Craig's character. uh, But, uh, Anyway, you liked Venom, Let There Be Carnage. What's your final grade for that? I think I gave it a B. Okay. B minus. It's it's in that range. If you can yeah. be between a B minus and a B, it's dumb, yeah. flipping fun. <laughs> it's much mean, like I, maybe Godzilla versus Kong was earlier this year, where yeah. you're not expecting them to, like, you know, break down all the molecules and explain everything. You just want two monsters to fight. I mean, last night it was what I needed, or was it, no Tuesday night it was what I needed. Yeah, and sometimes movies are like that. Yeah, you, you just want to sit there and let it wash all over you, yeah. and there is no deeper meaning. I'm not going to debate the 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 morals of freaking venom. <laughs> I'm I'm really not. So yeah. you know, well. Well, so maybe some excitement for this character moving forward. And, uh, you know, is this something uh, that maybe could get like Venom could cross over into the Marvel Cinematic Universe and then maybe like they did with Spider-Man, have some sort of an agreement to bring, you know, Venom over and make their kind of a Venom movie? You know what I mean? Uh, That. uh, Do you care if that happens, I guess? I don't know. I don't really care. Yeah. I, go, I I don't know what track phase four is on, so it right. in a in a Spider-Man movie, I don't think he'll be out of place, but in, in an actual MCU, yeah, I think that's asking a bit much. Yeah. Hard to hard to see Venom teaming up with uh, the Eternals and uh no. you know fighting Galactus or something or you know so makes sense. Okay. Um, well, George, what do you have coming up next week? I think you kind of teased it a little bit, but anything other than uh, No Time to Die from uh, James Bond? Uh, you know what? I haven't looked at next week's release calendar. Hold on. Uh, you know, I think everybody cleared out for for Bond. I really do. Well, I mean, Dune did uh, at a certain point. They They were scheduled for the early October release. They pushed back. Everybody clear it out for Bond. That's yeah. Bond's weekend, um, which is interesting. Because uh, Bond didn't have that. You could always count on Bond, but it didn't yeah. have that kind of p- appeal back in the day. It's I don't just, I don't know that it had. I mean, maybe you can correct me here, but I don't really know that it had the big appeal domestically as it obviously does in England and overseas. Do you, I mean, do you kind of find it to be like, you know, everybody in the in the, in our country here are, are just going to be fawning over the, the release of another James Bond movie? Yeah, it's an action movie, and, you know, some people probably like Daniel Craig, so they're going to go watch it anyway. But do you ever, did you ever get that feeling that Bond was really in hardcore with the American audience? I did not until, until, until Daniel Craig. 
as weird as I, I, his, his, what is it, fourth? Is this the fourth? Fifth, one? I, fifth I think now. Uh, or four, let's see, uh, Casino Royale, Spectre, Skyfall. Um, maybe it is his fourth. So, you know, and, and, I've been looking for. I've not. I've, I've not been the biggest Bond fan, and I've been looking forward to this. And do you think that okay. the delays have something to do with that? Like you're, you're kind of the anticipation's higher because it's been delayed multiple months and not multiple not, times. Personally speaking, no. Okay. I and I don't want to get too deep into Bond because you'll understand more next week. But it's like, okay, it's been the way the character has evolved and i'll put it to you this way the character is less nudge nudge wink wink can you believe this and it's more reality based now as reality based as you can as you can be in a series like this you know what i mean right i mean roger moore for instance played the care i won't say he played it for laughs but he he he'd almost break the fourth wall right like, can you believe? And it's like, okay, yeah. but they, they, there's a certain reverence and respect for the material yeah. that I, I sense in the Daniel Craig films. Like I said, we can go deeper into it next week. Yeah. And this will be number five. He's got uh, Casino Royale, Spectre, Skyfall, and uh, Quantum of Solace. So oh, that's the one. Quantum of Solace was the terribly forgettable James Bond movie, I thought. But um, I think we'll get into it a little bit more. Um, I'm kind of with you on the Bond as well, where I I enjoy the movies, especially the Daniel Craig movies. Uh, It was a nice change of pace when they went a little bit grittier, sort of like a Jason Bourne, Tom Cruise, Mission Impossible hybrid, like on steroids almost, like where I, I kind of believed that James Bond could finally like kill anybody that you know in a hand-to-hand combat versus the pierce brosnan days where you know he was the talker and did a little action but i kind of look at if bond's going to be what bond really truly is you know he's got to be jacked up and you know muscular and someone that can kill people so definitely uh, excited for that george and uh, we'll uh, get with you next week so we definitely appreciate you stopping by this week uh, for more reviews all righty sir Thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Yep. We'll see you next week. Hi, I'm Jennifer Mooney. Welcome to what is our new Hope Interrupted podcast based on the work from our book, Hope Interrupted, that I co-authored with my good friend, Byron McCauley. Hey, Jennifer. You know, I'm looking forward to this podcast as much as I was looking forward to writing this book with you. We hope to interview some uh, high impact folks as well as have a little fun. We're going to cover stories of hope. To learn more about our podcast and our book, please visit www.hopeinterrupted.com.